Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick. This is episode number 107 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How is everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. Just a heads up, I am at IBMA next week with Keith from Picky Fingers, and we are at booth 122. We'll be there all week long, so stop by and say hello. I finally got all my merch. I'll send out an email to those who are on the mailing list. If you want to sign up for my mailing list, just go to mandolinsbeer.com. And a little pop-up will come up, and uh, I, I got it made up for IBMA, but I want to give some listeners a chance to get them. I got some holographic stickers that look really, really cool, and I made up some pick pouches that are like zippered. They fit right in your case. You can put all your picks in there, and then it's actually got a little netted area where you can put your favorite picks so it doesn't get mixed in there. Uh, so I'm really excited for those, and it's got my logo on them. So be sure to check that out. Speaking of Picky Fingers, the banjo player, we've got some Michigan gigs lined up. We are taking my tribute to Tom Petty, bluegrass tribute to Tom Petty, to Michigan. And we are playing the State Theater in Bay City, Michigan, on October, November 12th. And uh, Otis Supply in Ferndale on the 13th. So... If you're in Michigan, put those dates on your calendar. I'm bringing in a couple buddies of mine from the band down here in Charleston and uh, Keith from Picky Fingers and one of his buddies on fiddle. I am looking forward to it. So put those dates down November 12th and 13th in the lovely state of Michigan. I hope there's no snow. By the way, are you a musical artist? Because being a musical artist doesn't mean you can't have financial security even during a pandemic. Teaching music lessons online is the perfect way for you to make the money you need, which is why the folks at Lesson Business Blueprint have created a course to teach you how to start and run a successful teaching business. When you sign up for this course, you'll learn how to attract quality students, create demand, and make money teaching online music lessons. Created and presented by Nate Lee, veteran online music educator and business owner, the Lesson Business Blueprint course shares secrets that will make your online teaching business successful and lucrative. Sign up today at LessonBusiness.com. Use the code MANDO100, that's all one word, to get $100 off your purchase. You can also find the link at MandolinsAndBeer.com as well. And Nate's great, man. You can't go wrong uh, learning anything from Nate. Lessons or uh, how to teach music lessons online. So check that out. Speaking of not being able to go wrong, did you check out Sharon Gilchrist's new video with Joe K. Walsh, the Mando's Cars and Coffee? It's awesome. And they're both teachers at Peghead Nation, along with Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, and Chad Manning. Heck, even if you don't want to take mandolin lessons and you got something else you want to work on, like guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, they got all the bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. I just named the mandolin ones. They're all incredible. So check it out. Go there. They got high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com. Use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. So I want to thank my sponsor, Northfield Mandolins. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And be sure to follow them on the Instagrams. Also, Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted, designed, and built in Austin, Texas. Ellis Mandolins, they just, uh, Tom just posted some beautiful pictures of some of his uh, new stuff. Be sure to go and check them out as well on uh, Facebook and Instagram. All right, y'all. Let's do this. David Long's new album's fantastic. By the way, uh, I am not 100% sure there's going to be an episode next week because I'll be at IBMA. I'm leaving at the crack of dawn here on Tuesday to get up there, and I got a million things to do here in the meantime, including gigs that I have to leave for shortly. So, I'll keep you posted. Cheers, everybody. Bye, David's album. All right, and now it's my pleasure to have on the podcast David Long. David, how's it going, man? Hello, sir. Man, good to talk to you. It's great to be with you. Um, you congratulations! You put out a brand new album. Just came out. Uh, it would be last this last Friday. We're talking on the sixteenth, so it would have been the tenth. Yeah, it looks like. Yep, that's right. Oh man, so, <laughs> it is so. Good. So I, I, I was telling you beforehand, I think I've listened to it at least 10 times, top to bottom. 
we played it on my gig at Sunday as the uh, overhead music while we were taking a break and, you know, people are bouncing around, you know, the venue and stuff like that. Congrats, dude. It is so good. Man, I've, thank you so much. It's very nice to hear. Yeah, man. And it's called a public record. And, yes. um, and I want to get into the recording of it, the guys in the band and all that stuff. But before we get into that, you've already put in, you did the um, Mountain Song Festival that the Steep Canyon guys put on in Brevard just this past weekend. Yeah, we did that on Saturday for a little, it was, and it was actually my first gig uh, since COVID. Oh, wow. No <laughs> kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what do you was, call home was, now? Well, I'm in Pittsburgh right now, which is where I grew up and which is where my family is. Um, oh, cool. But um, I've been kind of living a nomadic lifestyle for the last, I don't know, I don't know, 10 years or so. So who knows? Who knows where I'll be? <laughs> who knows where I'll be next? <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that's excellent, man. And um, yeah. so how, how in the heck did you find yourself playing mandolin? And you said you started, you kind of started late in the game. Well, the thing is, it found me like I didn't find it. It was for some weird reason. Um, I just heard it one day and I, you know, that was it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stop trying to learn about it or, you know, practice or try to devour or whatever I could get my hands on. And it was terrible. You know, when you start something and I started late, like when I was in my early twenties and I didn't, you know, I didn't. I had no idea like the technique of like of how to properly play a mandolin and uh you know it was a it was a beautiful struggle. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I I just never put it down and uh but it was weird. I remember thinking to myself because I knew it was something that was going to be attached to me my my whole life. I was like, "Wow, this is this is it. This is what <laughs> I had no idea. I had I, you know, it wasn't something that I'd ever, uh, you know, planned for. It like hit me. I was thunderstruck. Yeah, you know, wow. where did you? What, like, ever, what, what was it you heard that that got you hooked? Do you remember? Like, was it a song or an album or a person? Well, I'd, I, it was uh, a friend of mine had uh, David Grisman's Dog Ninety record. track on that is uh um i forget what it's called um it's a pup fill amazing tune oh it's just beautiful it's just beautiful and like the the joy of the of all the the like the harmony mandolins on that and uh what uh what then did it for me i heard uh another interview with grisman um uh where he was like well what what was it that did did it for you and he said what did it for me was the uh the uh the recording of Earl Taylor and the, the Smoky Mountain Boys doing uh, White House Blues. And it's, and it's, uh, Earl Taylor's playing mandolin on that. When I heard that, I, you know, like everything in my interior just like folded over and (laughs) (laughs) was trying to rearrange itself. But no, Grisman, Grisman was a huge part of it. Like, um, and then like, I, I was dying to go see him and blah, blah, blah. I couldn't play like him and I couldn't play jazz horrible. Like I tried, um, couldn't even do it. Couldn't even, it's just not one of, it's not my skill set let's say, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but like, uh, I, I, like I texted his management one time and I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to fly all the way from Pittsburgh to New York city. Cause I wanted to go see him in town hall. And, and they gave me backstage passes and I'm, I'm sure David doesn't, he doesn't remember this, but it meant, it meant a lot to me like that. He, you know, you know, 
a total stranger could go back and, you know, meet him. And, but then I just totally regressed after that. I was, when I heard Bill Monroe and, and then finally got to meet Mike Compton, it was, you know, it was, I finally got to really hone what, what I never knew was really in, inside my ears and my heart, I guess. Yeah. Were you playing any sort of music before this at all? Yeah. I mean, I played, uh, growing up, I played saxophone from fourth grade till, till high school. And then I started playing guitar and, um, I played drums, uh, for a long time in middle school. I was in in the middle school jazz band playing drums. No, I mean, music's always been, um, at, at my fingertips. I always, well, I always made sure it was. So, um, so this is in Pittsburgh. How, how did you then start becoming almost like a, partner in crime with Mike Compton? Uh, well, the, so, so when I was 21, I dropped out of college in central Pennsylvania. I moved to Wyoming where friends of mine were staying out there and I was playing out there a lot, you know, just trying to figure it all out. And then I moved back, moved back to Pittsburgh when I'm like 22 and then start playing locally with, um, with a friend of mine who I went to high school with. His name's Ben Hartledge, who's an amazing songwriter. Um, and musician and singer. And, uh, and so that turned into getting, uh, like these little, these little road gigs with, uh, you know, regional touring bluegrass bands, like most, like the Wildwood Valley boys, um, who has the, the, the guy who, who runs that band, his name's Tony Holt. He's an amazing singer. Um, and then Carl Shiflett, I got to, I got to sit in with him a couple times and he took me on a couple trips, uh, to fill in. Um, and then I finally, uh, I, uh, sent my Compton an email cause I knew he was on, I mean, remember the email lists or the list servers like the, <laughs> yeah. you know, you remember like, absolutely, you know, like, you, know you know, they were, you see your, I forget what they were called, but you know, there was like a bluegrass list and I, I, I would read them and I would see that he would post in those and you could see his email. So I sent him an email and like we'd email back and forth and eventually it turned into like me going to see, um, the first time I saw, first time I met him actually was, uh, at the Mohican bluegrass festival with when he was playing with Hartford. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, was, and Hartford died very shortly after that. So. so then did you just start taking lessons with him or were you guys just start jamming together? It wasn't lessons. Like I, you know, he knew he, I think he, I think he knew that I was in it more for just lessons. So, I mean, I would go to his, I would drive from Pittsburgh to his house in, in, uh, when he lived in Dixon and like, I'd stay with him for a weekend and, you know, we'd, we'd play and hang out and, uh, he's a great cook, you know, so he'd cook food and that, and his kids were really little, so they were, they were really cute to play with and we had fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, I think he, it was, I think he could tell. And I, I, I of course I knew I could, that it was, it was beyond a lesson thing. And then, um, he was so encouraging that, uh, like I had the, when I put out a record, it was like my first time I've ever put out a record. It was a, it was in like 2001, I think. Mm -hmm. And I sent it to the mandolin cafe. I sent it to Scott Tishner and he was like, this is great. Do you want to play Mando Fest this year in Lawrence? And I was like, are you kidding? Of course I do. <laughs> so, and I didn't, I, I knew, I knew with the amount that he was paying me, I couldn't take a full band. So I was like, well, I'll take a duet. And then I, I, I asked a guy to go do it with me and he canceled at the last minute. And then I was like, Hey, I, I asked Mike, I was like, Hey, any, any chance you want to, we can go, uh, go play some, go play a show at, at Mando Fest. He's like, come on down, let's pile in the Cadillac and we'll go. <laughs> we'll go. <laughs> so I booked, so I, so we did Manifest and we booked, uh, I booked two, two shows the night before and maybe one after that, maybe it was four altogether. And we did this little like quick tour of Kansas for four nights. And the, it was funny. The first show was with, uh, seven people and a dog <laughs> <laughs> in a living room, um, it was, it was really funny. And, uh, and then it turned in like the next four years, we were just, uh, you know, playing, playing out, playing a lot. Like we played a lot for about four years. And that album you guys did together, Stomp is killer, man. That's one of the first Thanks. albums I owned for when I started playing mandolin. 
Oh wow! Yeah, I uh, I just uh, I just listened to uh, because just with the the new record getting on Spotify, I I never had a Spotify account, and like when I <laughs> when I tried to play my record, the next song that came up was Stomp. I was in the car and I wasn't looking down and I was, I was like, man, who's this playing? This guy's good. (laughs) Well, no, the thing is I hadn't, I hadn't heard that recording in in years. Like I've been, I haven't heard it. I I really haven't listened to that record since we, since we, uh, since we did it. Like when you do those things, once it's, once it's done, um, I can't, it's really, I don't sit there and listen to it. I mean, I mean, I've probably done that more with this record um, now, but like, I'm once you've done it, it's it's uh, it's nice to get it out there and let other people do the listening. And, and you, you know, so it kind of comes full circle in that realm of uh, it was put out on acoustic disc by mm-hmm. Grisman. Yeah. Did you guys record it with David at his place? We recorded it at David's house in Petaluma. And, uh, Grisman engineered it and, uh, and it was just amazing. It was like, I couldn't believe like two, like David was in the, David was in the control room, you know, Compton's like right by me and we have all these access to all these instruments. Like David was so generous with like letting us play like anything from his, his collection. Wow. You know, um, so yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And we were there for like five days and, you know, uh, I would, I, you know, I'm kind of a night owl. And, uh, when I, when Mike would go to bed, like I'd stay up with David and like, I, he, he would just tell these amazing stories and, you know, it was, you know, I was like a kid in a candy store, you know, and then wake up and get to go into that studio with, with all that gear and, uh, seeing David's, you know, all the, all the stuff that he's, rec- all the reels that he's recorded over the years, it's really, you know, it was special. That's, yeah, I can't even imagine, man. I mean, again, yeah. this is, it, it's so cool to me to think of, like, you know, you contact his management when you first start playing, and they're like, oh, they give you backstage passes, and then a few years, how long, how many years down the line is it then that you record this album with him after that first show you saw him at? Four. I mean, I went from, yeah, I went, I went, I went from, nothing to, you know, to something more than ever, more than I ever thought I would to something, uh, very quickly, man, that is so wild. There's, and there's a lot of tunes on the, on the stomp album. There are. And guess what? And I didn't know this. I guess they just put out a deluxe reissue of stomp. (laughs) Oh, did they really? (laughs) Yeah. They put a bunch of stuff. I guess, I guess they released, um, stuff on there that, uh, wasn't on the first one. And David's, David loves to put, uh, and I do too. Um, like when, when, when we're like bantering back and forth, you know, like before and after songs. So I, I'm sure there's probably, there's probably like banter or some stuff like that on there too. I haven't, I haven't heard, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen what what's new on it. But. Yeah, I'll have to look. Dude, Grisman is the king recently with – you talk about um, like Dog 90. He just reissued that with some bonus tracks. He's It's like he's used this pandemic to make acoustic disc um, this giant reissued digital-only thing now because nobody really is buying too many physical copies anymore unless you're at a show. And he's yeah, just I reissuing mean, the – he just put something out called the Gasoline Brothers with oh, him yeah, and Tony that, Rice. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, yeah. fantastic, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like it's hard if you talk about someone that loves mandolins. Yeah. And just for and just for the sheer love of play, of of like music, like you know, I mean, it's just a treat to be around and like I it was a uh you know, it well, the, the thing is, here's the thing, here's what happened how like uh how we got to do that. Um he did that that mandolin symposium at 
you see Santa Cruz. Yeah. And he has Compton to do it to, to be one of the, the teachers. Cause he loves, he loves Compton's playing. He, um, and they needed like teaching assistance and Mike suggested me. So I got to be one of the TAs at, at that first symposium at, uh, at Santa Cruz. And we were all having lunch one day in the cafeteria with Grisman and, uh, Grisman was like, so you guys are playing a duet now. And we're like, yeah. He's like, he's like, well, why don't you come? He's like, Hey man, why don't you come do a record, man? And we were like, and we were like, we didn't, I don't think we, either of us took him seriously. And then I think like, I don't know, later in that trip, I was like, were you serious about this? He's like, yeah, man. He's like, it's great. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, well, all right. So, so we, we, you know, we didn't know what that entailed. Like I never made a record with a, like not only a king, like a kingpin of, of American, like American, you know, folk music, but like also like, like Compton, who was like, who's basically providing me with PhD grade yeah. <laughs> material for, for, uh, for playing. And like, not only that, just like thinking about music and like, not, not what to play, but why to play it. And, you know, it's, it was a whole, it was a whole, uh, it's a whole thing there. So you go four years from nothing to recording this album. What was that deep dive like where you obviously put in hundreds, if not thousands of hours of playing time and developed yeah. this really cool style? Well, the thing is I was so, here's the thing. It had, it had a double-edged sword. It was, uh, it was good because because I wanted to get something out of my, I knew I wasn't, I knew my limitations. The thing is I was trying to find my limitations is like what, because when, when I first listened to Grisman, I was like, there's no way I can do jazz. Like, I'm just not a, I don't think like that, like musically, like it's not, I mean, I love listening to it. I love listening to it. So I was trying to find my limitations and I thought, that mandolin technique and uh you know i liked fiddle tunes back then so i was like learning them i was writing them um and i did and i wasn't paying attention to words and then but the thing is i didn't know that how much i like uh i like words because i didn't learn how to read until i was very old um and i'm not to say not that's not to say that i i couldn't read words, I couldn't comprehend like literature or, or anything. I couldn't, um, there's something about my brain where I couldn't, um, I couldn't read. And then finally I learned, I learned that if I could hear the author's voice in my head, I could understand everything. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So, so when I, when I learned how to do that, that opened up, I was like, wow, I, I really like to read now. And so I started reading a lot and and then I was, uh, I'm, I may be, uh, straying from this topic. That's all right, let man. Me know, let, let me know, let me know if I'm, uh, if I'm wandering, but, um, so that's the thing. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention to how much I liked and would, and I didn't anticipate how much I would like to, to write songs. Right. So, so I was, I was, so I went head first diving into the, into the instrumental aspect of playing or being a musician. And that was good. And I could always, and I love singing bluegrass and I love singing tenor. Um, and I love harmony singing. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of giving, it kind of gives you a a context of like how I, you know, in the last couple of years, or I mean, last decade, I've kind of split because I've met all these, great songwriters that I've tried to emulate and have taught me an incredible amount about um, language and songs. And yeah, what kind of leads you or leads this conversation to this new album, which is, I mean, dude, it's just, it's so good. I, I can't, if people who are listening now haven't had a chance to, to listen to it yet, or it's man, it is just, it's a great mix of, 
like we were talking about beforehand, this could have been recorded sound wise. It could have been recorded in the 40s or 50s or it could have been recorded yesterday. The way it sounds and feels and it's just got so much soul to it, man. Oh, strong knuckles past bone Locked in beyond lonely Wearing only hanging gowns Like tattered laces Dead-eyed shuffling nowhere mm. I, uh, yeah, I've ca- thank you so much. That's, uh, oh, man, absolutely. Well, well, the thing is, I wanted, yeah, I wanted to have, I wanted to have that live sound where we're all playing. All those, all those songs are recorded in one take. Um, there's no overdubs, there's no redos. Um, all the singing is live. Um, for myself, I had one mic, one microphone for mandolins and vocal. Um, and the band had one mic, so there were four mics at one time. And I think when there's drums on it, there, you know, he only had one mic. Um, and it's everyone is probably within a uh, arm's length of each other, with little with little separation like barriers between us. Um, uh, we we're not wearing headphones, um, and we're mixing each other dynamically with the room. Um, the uh, the engineer uh, John Atkinson uh, he has there's a there's an echo chamber in the room which I had no idea what that would do. I remember when he turned it on it sound it sounded like I was in the recording, not oh. just not just not <laughs> not just recording it but like you sound like you're actually in the recording with this beautiful natural reverb and you can all wow play quieter you can the, the, the dynamics are, you can immediately play with wonderful dynamics you can let your instruments really do their job instead of, uh, you, you don't have to play hard or, you know. And that's uh, all without headphones too, huh? Yeah, there's no headphones. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, Dude, yeah it was really special. And your voice is great, man. Thank the, you. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I'm not a... I'm not a vocalist. You gotta, you gotta make that clear. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say that. I would say you're a real good vocalist. It's, I can't imagine another voice singing these songs. Well, well, thank you. Um, I was kind of worried because um, I hadn't done anything like this ever. And, and now here I'm going to be singing all these songs in, in a, like when you record all day and you're playing, it's one thing, but when you're singing, that's another, that's another muscle that you're, that can wear out really quickly. Right. And doing both at the same time with no overdubs, man. Yeah, yeah, I was worried. <laughs> I was kind of worried, but uh, it worked out. But the, the the sessions were only f- about five hours long, and there were three of them. So, and there were there were two other two other songs that that we recorded that I didn't put on the record, so they'll be on the next one. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So, what's the first song you wrote for this album? Um, that would either be. Um, the last one, the, the, my Lord, my love, my God. My Lord, my love, my God. My home, my bed, the road I trod. I'll see you in the land beyond. My Lord. And I should point out, um, I'm not a religious person, but I love writing gospel music. I mean, the, just the material, like the the amount of s- the subject matter that's within gospel music is, and the imagery that's there is, is it's amazing. So um, I'll just point that out. Um, but I think it was that one, or I never knew how well it was. The, I think they're the two, and that was unintentional for the those two. Well, the last song was intentional to be put last, but never knew how well. That was around that time, too. (laughs) ¶¶ 
place until you died and left me here and you're returning from your hiding place but in my dreams you disappear I'm trying to think of, of other ones. Um, the bird song, that was kind of around, that was an early one. Uh, but the other ones, all the other ones were fairly new. Um, the next the next ones, Before I Hit the Grave and Pray That Sunday ne Never Comes, that was around 2010. And all the other ones are, are uh, contemporary, as they say. Yeah, that Before I Hit the Grave, buddy, that one. <laughs> that, <laughs> is, that is a good time listen. I mean, dude, that song, it's, it's got it all. It's like, uh, it's, it's almost like a Tom Waitsy sort of tune. Exactly. Oh my God, I was just going to say that. I wanted, that's, whenever I play it, I'm like, this is my Tom Waits song. Well, I love Tom Waits, but, but it was, I was, there was the one song that I wrote. I was in the shower and it was in my, well, I had a horrible back problem at that, at that time. I couldn't move. I, I couldn't really move. And I shuffled and I was laying in bed. And I was looking out the window and it was like, it was bleak and I was just miserable. And I dragged myself out of bed and got in the shower and the whole song just came into my head and I showered, turned the shower off, went right to, and wrote it down verbatim, like the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> um, it's funny when people ask me about that. Um, they're like, what happened in New Orleans? <laughs> what did you do? That sounds like a really awful time. Like, it's like, calm down, calm down. Nothing happened in New Orleans. It just sounds good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, oh, I mean I I've, love been it. New I've been to New Orleans a bunch, like, and it's wonderful. And yeah, like, I've seen some crazy stuff in New Orleans, but like, I mean, geez, it's like, it's not that scandalous, everybody. It's like, it's a, it's a song. <laughs> right. That's the, but, that's, but that's the beautiful part, man. That's the beautiful part about music, right? Is that. I mean, the thing is, what, if I would have said what happened in Houston or what happened in Boston or what happened in Portland, Maine, it doesn't, it doesn't land well. It has to be New Orleans. <laughs> right. Because literally anything could have happened. <laughs> what happened in Indianapolis will never leave my tongue. That's not, that's not, that's not a good story. <laughs> exactly oh my gosh and now another thing about this album which is um you know i'd gotten the press release just a little bit before this and read through it thank you for sending me that uh, because i think it's very interesting because again as much as some of this this music has a very uh, upbeat vibe some of the songs come from a little bit of a of a darker time uh yeah three of those songs were written in in uh in very, very much crippling despair. Um, but, you know, so, so, so other ones were written in crippling humor and joy and, and fun. So, I mean, again, that, and that's the other killer thing about music is you take the ability to, to have the power to take that crippling despair and turn it, turn it into something. Yeah, and and try not to make it so deep. Like like when I was in when I was in the psych ward, I was I remember sitting there and in, in like the horrible things that make you wear. I was sitting there and with a crayon because they don't give you pens. And I was like I was like oh man I, like just thinking how horrible it was and being all like ashamed and humiliated and and I was like well when this is going to happen again, like I'm coming back here, I'm the comeback kid. Come on back and we'll lose it all Cause I'm the comeback kid And I'm coming back to 
you know, and, and the mandolin playing on this album is just so soulful, dude. It is, um, I, I don't even have the word to describe how it makes me feel. It's just like, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. There's something about that just hits that button in me where I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to, I need to practice and play. And you really take what you've worked on and uh, take that, like take that stomp album and just, and then take in all your experience and you can, right. it's like, you can hear it, the, the, the growth in the, in the soul, in the playing. Well, I mean, I'm also very, very lucky to have the, that mandolin. So yeah. What is I mean, that? Let's talk about that mandolin real quick. Okay. What you want to know? Well, well, what it, is it? A, uh, well, I don't want to say what it is. I think I know what it is, but what, uh, what mandolin is it? Uh, it's a, it's a Gilchrist F5. It's, uh, it's number well for mandolin uh, geeks like me. It's it's uh, number five fifty, um, which means it's it's Steve's five hundredth and fiftieth instrument. Yeah, um, and it's it's uh, the the serial number is o three five fifty, which means two thousand three five fifty, um, and that's one I've been playing, I think, since two thousand four, and uh, I mean. It's a hammer. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a it's an absolute uh, screaming, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like like rumbling, rumbling piece of machinery. It's it's really it's really fun to play, and it changes your play. It, it just changed my playing. How'd you um, get? How'd you acquire it? Because in in your press release, you got a great quote here from Steve Gilchrist, which is. I mean, you can't ask much more from a guy who's built some crazy mandolins for some great players to say as a mandolin player, David Long is a true artist. I mean, yeah, he, uh, well, the thing is he, he loved, he always loved, he always still does. I mean, he, he loves Mike Compton. Um, they're, and they're, they're really, those two have a really like really strong connection just because, because one, they, not only do they play off their own memories of, of themselves as listeners, but they, they, they interact in a way where, where a maker can, can makes, can make an instrument for a guy that can induce the tones and, and conjure up the memories and, and, and even like, like, uh, like visual, visual elements of music. And, you know, he can make that for Compton. And Compton can reproduce it in his in his in his instruments. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And you know, so it's they have this really beautiful, like copacetic relationship. And and I was lucky enough to when when Mike and I were hanging out, like Mike mentioned me and and uh, and he said Steve's coming uh, to Nashville, and you know you should come down and we should hang out and. I thought that would be a splendid happening, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we go down, I went down there and uh, we're staying at uh, Steve's at Mike's place and, and I'm there too. And Steve had these mandolins there. He had an F4 and he had uh he had this one that I'm playing and he had, he had another one and all the other ones in the back, like he comes over and he's the batches are sold. You know what I mean? He comes yep. over and mines them and uh, make sure they, get over here well and he, they, he sets them up and he had these extra two and the night I was there we were up I don't know we were up till like four in the morning or whatever all in Mike's attic and and uh, he hands me the one I have now and, and he's uh, he's like what do you think what do you think about that David and uh, <laughs> I said well I, I love it I was like what do you what do you mean he's like he's like I hate it I, I, I bloody it's bloody awful I hate it. It's all, it's, it sounds like strings. It's all stringy. It's all new sounding. I, I bloody hate it. And I'm like, well, that's, well, you shouldn't. <laughs> I was like, it's really, it's really good. And he's like, he's like, I think you should take it home with you and teach it some manners. Wow. <laughs> so, he, so the next day I was like, I was like, he'll here, you know, take it back. He's like, no, you're taking it home. Wow. 
And that night, that was the night that he, that when Mike got that F4 too. So no kidding. Wow. That's a it was, cool story, man. It, it, it was a night of, of the most benevolent bequeathing of, of, of mandolins <laughs> I could have ever, could have ever. Because, you know, like when I was listening to Grisman, he put out that tone poems record. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, at the very end, the last song is uh, Tony Rice playing a Santa Cruz, I think, and Grisman playing a, a Gilchrist. And I would look at that thing and I would look at that thing and be like, oh my God, I can't imagine what it'd be like to play one of these things. I never in my life would have dreamed that I got to play one, let alone own one. And he, you know, and he, he always gives me crap about it. Like, you know, cause it's all, you know, he loves when they come back all scratched up and beaten <laughs> up and, you know, you know, so. Who did that album cover for you? The, uh, oh, that is oh, yeah. so rad. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a friend of oh, this is interesting. So uh, when I was in Pittsburgh and I had just learned out who Mike Compton was, and I was uh, I wanted to go see him with Hartford at this Mohican Bluegrass Festival. My friend Phil Blank, who had, was living in Pittsburgh, who was a painter and an artist, he was like, "Hey, do you know uh, Hartford's playing uh, in Ohio this weekend?" He, he's like, "Do you want to go?" I was like, "Yeah." So we piled in. Piled in my truck, drove out there, and uh, Phil, Phil Blank, the guy I was uh, went out there with, um, he, I, you know, he's he's been a friend over the years, and um, he's an amazing painter. Um, and uh, I asked him if he would do the art cover, and he did. Wow! So that's awesome. Yeah, it's exactly what <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Let's talk a little bit more about the mandolin playing on this album. You, you play with such pocket and groove. You've got a lot of feel. Even when you're playing rhythm, there's some intricacies in there that, you know, they, they probably feel natural to you now. But at some point, you picked them up, you know. And, you know, where did... Uh... I abandoned the chop. Once, once, once mandolin players feel, feel uh, relieved of that obligation, I think... Uh, um, they don't have to, they don't have to totally disregard it, but like, um, the bluegrass chop mandolin playing for me is, is, uh, it's very, it's very, um, awkward to a band to, for a band to hear. And they think it's, they think it's a oblige, but like a lot of the early Monroe stuff, he never chopped. He never really chopped until the fifties. And if you go back and listen to it, he's always playing backup. He's always playing almost like guitar rhythms and runs like he's like beautiful, beautiful accompany accompaniment. Um, um, he's, he's not like, I like, I like playing the down, like a, if there is a chop, it's a, it's a downbeat chop on every like boom, boom. It's not, it's blam, 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 blam. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't, I, um, I, Especially in music that I like to play, I disapprove of of chops for what I'm doing. Yeah. So was it hard to abandon that, or was that something that you uh, that you had a conscious effort on early? No, it's like you ever. I don't know what, what you're, how you grew up, but like, or if you had like parents, you know, like you know, I had, I had my parents, like I always cared what they think, and you know, I you know, like dutiful sons, like you you listen and blah 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 and. They're kind of always in the back of your head. But when I was like, I got to a certain age and I was like, I don't care what they think anymore. And, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I, I, it's out of my control. And like, when I, when I let that go, um, you, you know, when I let that go, it was the same thing with the chop. I could do all this other cool stuff. Like you could play harmony, like, like rhythms, like behind, you know, mandolin's a great rhythm instrument. And people think that the chop is the rhythm, but it's it's like it's way it's way deeper than that. And Compton told me that because uh, of this woman, uh, her name was Ella Haley. She was Ed Haley's wife, and she played she played a uh, like a, one of those old uh, taterbug mandolins, bullbacks. Oh yeah, she wouldn't play a chop. Hell no. She she would play. She would her right hand would play the rhythm the the rhythm of the melody. So she would play open. So she would play open chords. But she, her right hand would play the melody and the chords would just ring out. And that was a powerful idea for me. Um, and I mean, you hear all the early Monroe stuff, he never chops. And he plays this beautiful, these beautiful, like sweeping, 
sweeping uh, double stops and uh, backup things. Like, you know, he played like almost like a fiddle player would. Um, yeah, I'm not, I don't, the, the, whenever I hear a, ch- a prominent chop, um, I do play chop on, on one of the songs, the, uh, I can't stay. Cause I wanted to, I wanted to record that like, like Jimmy Martin would. The other thing that uh, you have uh, in there is that really cool Monroe style, like that sliding down with your fingers still, like changing positions, but your fingers still kind of on the neck. Yeah. Um, which is uh, is one of my favorite sounds on mandolin. You yeah. Know, I talked about that with Mike a little bit, too, and I forget what song it was that he pointed out Monroe where he, he figured it out from, but you you have it on there, and it just it just sounds so great, man. Yeah, I mean, especially if you have an instrument, and that's, that's the thing with, with – with the, the mandolin that I have, like you have access to so many things, so many tones that on, you know, there are a lot of great mandolins out there, but like, if you don't, if you don't have a, it's really hard. You really have to struggle to get that sound from a, from a mandolin that, that isn't uh, one, it's not set upright or, you know, it has, you know, but if I don't know, there's something about that tool that's, that, um, it's not me. I mean, it's, it's a lot, a lot of that is the mandolin and, and have it and how easy, how ergonomically correct it is and being able to do that. Yeah. Well, th- th- that's true, but don't sell yourself short. There's somebody could pick that mandolin up and not make it sound like that pretty easily too. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know? you're right. Yeah, you're right. But <laughs> don't like, sell yourself I'm, short, just, buddy. I'm just, no, I know. I'm, I'm just saying, and, but it's, it's, but the thing is for me, it's so much fun to do that. It's, it's like, I don't like, I don't like linear sounding uh notes like bop 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 i like i like pauses i like swells i love slides i love double stops so like you know i love like compton will always say it's like we're having a conversation when we're playing you know it's like we're not you know you know it's like uh it's like your left hand are the words and your right hand is how you say those words and if, if you feel that the, I mean, the recording, the recording breathes, you know, and yeah. that, that explains a lot of it. This, these last few minutes here of, of talking really explains, you know, like the heart and soul of this album and where it kind of lies in, in the playing. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're and the thing is, all the guys, are, all the people that were there, I mean, they're really old friends. They knew exactly what I was going for. Yeah. Who are the guys that played on the album? So uh, Scott Simantaki. Played guitar and he sang. He sang lead on all the on all the harmony stuff where I sang tenor. Um, and him and I have been playing. Him and I have been playing for years. We met. We met at Merle Fest at like in '99. Oh, cool. Um, and he's just an amazing person. Like he makes hats. Like he he's a he, he can sing opera. Like he plays mandolin. He plays guitar. So uh, so it's, so Scott's there and. Uh, Jake Hopping, who whose house I'm in right now in Charlottesville, um, I've I've known him for years. Uh, him and I played with the Charlotte Ballet Company for years. We played, uh, I don't know, we've played so many gigs together, and he was perfect for the record. He's he's doing all the bass. Uh, Shad Cobb um, playing fiddle. Um, Shad's, I don't know how you describe him. He's uh, I mean, he plays with Tim O'Brien, John Cowan. Um, there's an actual video of, of me, Shad, and Scott playing with John Prine at the Station Inn. Oh, wow. Um, which I saw re- when John Prine died. I saw that. And I, I was like, oh, wow, there's the band. <laughs> wow. Except, except John Prine's in it. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. He intuits. His intuition is amazing. And for, for that, the, the thing on there, it's called Birdsong. That's that's another well that's a little minor detail he's he's cross tuned on that on that tune
and see Mike Gray. This uh, Mike Gray plays with the the uh, the Firecracker Jazz Band in Asheville. He does all kind. Of, I met him when I played with Woody Pines. He's a great drummer. Um, I could. I, he's the best drummer I've ever played with. Um, uh, and that's tough. And, and, tough to find a, a drummer that fits in when you're a mandolin player. You know, especially because you're you have a sense of rhythm that is in your head already. Well, the thing is, I I wanted. I needed the drummer to take to because I need to focus on the vocals. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, so, so it was like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to worry about playing mandolin. And I needed that, you know, kind of like that snare and brushy kind of sound. And then with, especially with before I hit the grave, when he just goes, when he kind of like, he gets really drummy on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I should, I should probably say something about this because I know, I know I may get called out on this because I always hated drums in bluegrass. Like I always hated them. Like I, and the thing is I realized that I, I always hated the sound of them or it may have been the drummer, but like I, th- and they do fit, they do fit, but like it has to be the right way. It's, you know, it's, I never liked them back in the sixties, you know, when, it was kind of, it's kind of that hokey drum sound, but I think if, if you use them <laughs> responsibly, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, you know, so, so yeah. And, and the thing is the, the songs that he's on and I wish I would have put him on one more. Um, but I didn't even think about it, but, uh, I think he did, he did a great job on that. Uh, Derek Badden's playing banjo. Um, I met him in Asheville and he's a great, what a great musician he is. You hear his guitar playing, like his three finger guitar playing. He's wonderful. And he came in, I think he was there, all the banjo stuff there we did in probably like two and a half hours until he had to, he had to get back. He had to hustle back to Asheville, but am I missing anybody? Kevin Kerber. He's a great bass player. He's an old friend of mine. Um, he's a, he's a music teacher at Warren Wilson college in in Asheville or in Warren, in Swannanoa, North Carolina, which is right near Asheville. Um, I played with him for years. Um, we've toured all over the world. Like we went to Japan together and played all over the country. And, um, he sang, um, he knows, he knows gospel music very well. And he sang bass on the acapella piece at the end. Yeah. That's a great tune, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote that. I wrote that after I had uh, gotten the, uh, the, uh, bear family box set of the Leuven brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah. No and, kidding. And I, yeah. And I just, I, I, I was, I had Leuven brothers crammed in my head and I was staying with my friends in, uh, in North Georgia, uh, Cameron and Russell cook. They have a band called the little country giants. They, I was playing with them and listening to all their songs and listening to all these Leuven brothers songs. And then I wrote that cause it's not like a traditional gospel song, but it's, uh, um, it's a combination of those two worlds colliding. Like, um, like staunch, there's like a staunch like uh, Baptist quality to that song, and also like a melodic quality to to Cameron Russell's songs that I was trying to invoke too. So it was kind of like a I was trying to marry those marry those two um, ideas. Yeah, I love that man. That's the beauty of music. I love when ideas come smashing from. I think that's what makes inst- like albums unique. I think that's why you know that's probably a big part of why I love this album so much. Well, another thing, like I was hoping, and I've always hoped that that like these styles of playing, because I was always such a, I was such this horrible, I'm probably so insufferable, like torchbearer of, of like, uh, like traditional bluegrass or whatever, and you know, and that seemed like a noble thing, like, like, uh, you know, it's what a, uh, who was a, who was the new New Lost City Rambler guy. Uh, Cowan, uh, was it John Cowan or John Cohen? John, John Cohen. Yeah. He was like, he always thought of them as like a pillar of virtue, you know, like, a, you know, to keep the, these things going. And it's like, it's like, I kind of want, I kind of want this to like, maybe, I don't know, hopefully transcend like a, a genre and be like, maybe, you know, I can take the qualities of this music that I cherish and have always like, wanted to to stand up for and like maybe they can maybe they can reach other people not because of the not because of the the way in which they're played but because why they're why they're being played 
you know, so I don't know. Well, man, well, I got two more questions for you here. Fired up. So the first one I always ask every player, um, cause there's so many people who listen to this, you know, pros, amateurs, people just starting people who are frustrated with their playing or whatever. And oh, I can never get better. And I'm a firm believer in everybody can get better if they just play 10 minutes a day and just focus on something. You're gonna, if you just want to learn a song, for instance, if you play it 10 minutes a day, you're going to learn the song. You know, it's just it's just the nature of it. So I like to ask all players, if you had 10 minutes today to work on something or there's something that you've learned that you think people should work on for 10 minutes a day, what would you recommend? Set, uh, make sure it's set up good. Yeah. I'm serious. I'm serious, man. Like, make sure like uh, make sure your your action is where you want it. Make sure the bridge is in place. Make sure it's it's comfortable to play because so many people like hand me mandolins and they're so they're, they've been so neglected because people just don't have time to do it. And, and who, bl- who can blame them? You know, like, you know, you know, just make if you if you really if you really care, get it down to somebody who can set it up and like, you know, just maintain that. Mm-hmm. And like after that, like, I mean. I mean, as, just as long as you're thinking about it is, is good. You know, as long, you know, go listen to something, go pick it up, play it, you know, go call somebody and talk about it. Like as long as it's on, as long as it's swirling around in your, in your interior, I mean, there's nothing better than that. Right. I mean, and sure. And, and I always, always go and play with people that are better than you, which is, was never a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same here. <laughs> yeah. It's always, always. Always, always, always go play with. If 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 you're the best one in the room, you need to get out of there and go and go play with somebody that's. And well, I'm just saying, you know what I mean. Yeah, nothing makes you work harder than playing with somebody better. Yeah, no one's ever the best at any in any of these things. There's no best. Um, that's a whole other podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah, always go and uh, seek out the person that knows more than you do. How do you uh, going back to action real quick? How what what do you keep your action at? Do you keep it high or low? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's low now, and it's great because because I just had a uh, Steve just refretted it, and uh, I can put it at a point where um, like I monitor it now, so I can always keep it at a. I think it's like I think at the twelfth thread, it's supposed to be like three sixteenths of a of an inch, something like that. From the fret, from the fret to the bottom of the string, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. It's 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 a it's a it's a measurement that Compton and I t- Compton told me about. It may not be that, but it's 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 measurable, and that's kind of like the mark. I mean, some people love high action. I kind of like it sometimes, um, but you know, you definitely don't want your instrument bottoming out. You know and yeah, that's the kind of that's where I'm at right now is like raise it up just enough to, you know, I can play it where I feel like I'm going to play it at, at its hardest point and there's no buzz. And then, you know, if it starts rattling, I'm like, oh, I'm going to raise it up a little bit, especially this weather here, man, in Charleston. It is. Right. Out of control. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a daily battle sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I mean, some people, they'll hem, they'll hem me their mandolins and they'll be like, oh, yeah, they'll be all proud because how high the action is. I was like, all right, man, well, four years down the road, let me see how your carpal tunnel goes. <laughs> right. Let's, see, let's right. see how big your, see how big your knuckles are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? It's crazy, I don't know. man. Who knows? It's, it, you know, it's like whatever, whatever you like. But the thing is, if you just put a little time into setting up your instrument, you'll, you'll one, it'll sound better. You'll want to play it more. You know, you'll get better quicker. It's a huge thing. It's like, it's just a basic, Basic thing, which I always, I never took seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it took forever. It took forever. But now you do. Yeah. And dude, and then yeah. the, the final question, do you have a favorite beer? And you are, you are, you're one of my favorite people. You're one of the people who is enjoying a beer to celebrate this podcast. Well, I am. All I right, love so, it. So this, this is not like a one word answer. So, so my dad my dad was uh, was a coal miner and he was a he was a heroic beer drinker and like my earliest you know not my earliest memories but like i always he we would always uh he would always make us go down and get beers for him you know so we'd always go it was always fun cuz you know it was going to make him happy and like you know he's like oh he he always called us bug 
you know, he's a bug, give me a beer. So I don't, you know, just run down to the, to the fridge and it was either, there was a beer called Duquesne, which was in Pittsburgh. It was like made, it was like an iron city, kind of like a, you know, like a blue collar Pilsner kind yeah. of thing. So it was either Duquesne and then he had, he was, it was like Miller High Life for a while. But then what you do, what you do, you would, uh, you would open it for him on the way up and you'd take the first little sip. You know? <laughs> yeah. So beer's always been like, you know, it's, it's kind of like embedded in my, in probably not, in not always good ways. Like, uh, cause of course I've, uh, ab- abused it in, insanely, uh, irresponsibly at, at some points in my life. But, uh, yeah, so while uh, last night when I was here in Charlottesville, I was I was thinking about it, and um, I realized that there was only one of my favorite beer. Like I drink Pabst Blue Ribbon, like that's my, and not because it's the best. Like it's what my dad used to drink it sometimes. It's like a, there's it, there's a nostalgia thing to it. Oh yeah, it's not a hipster thing. It's not a hipster thing. Like it's it's an actual, you know. <laughs> Cause I know it's, you know, it was like PBR, blah, blah, blah. You're such a hipster. It's like, no, I'm not. That's kind of like a, uh, it's, it has memories attached to it. So that's what I drink normally. But, uh, what I'm reduced to now is it's, it's, and I'm going to read it like an old person. Like it's uh, <laughs> what I'm drinking now, these kids today, it's a, it's a dogfish head and it's a 90 minute Imperial IPA. What does 90 minutes mean? Do I drink it in 90 minutes? Was it made 90 minutes ago? What's going on? Where who are these dogs that have fish heads? Like what is the thing here? What's an IPA? Yeah, you know. So I've been grudgingly sipping this this uh horrible horrible syrupy. Yeah, it's a thick uh, one. Ugh. Yeah, it'll, so. it'll do the trick though. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Dogfish has some good things. I, I think they had a sour beer that that I enjoyed once. Um, I like sours. Um, I like German beers. Uh, and now we're going to get on beers. So uh, I don't know. I don't like. I think. I think American. Uh, like. I love how breweries have just exploded. There's a brewery in every town. It's an amazing thing. I, but. When you go to a brewery these days, it's like, how many IPAs are you guys making? <laughs> right, right. Like, like, can we have one? No, I just, I mean, I just like simple ones. I like, I like German style pilsners. Mm-hmm. I like, uh, um, and I like American, like just simple American pilsners. There's, there's some great ones. There's uh there's Straub in St. Mary's PA that are, that's really great. Um, Stoney's was a great, uh, but the perfect name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, for a beer in Pennsylvania, I think they were in Wilkesbury, um, and I love Yingling. Uh, Yingling, oh, uh, Yingling's great, dude. Um, you know, Pennsylvania has a gr- really great brewing tradition. But there's, a, you know, um, Dock Street used to be a really great beer. I don't know if they're still around. They were in Philadelphia. Um, there's a German, there's a Marazin German style brewery in in Reading called Stouts. It's S T O U D T S something like that. Stouts. It's not stout like S S T O U T. It's a, uh, it's spelled differently. Um, but uh, let's see what other ones. There's a great one in Hickory, North Carolina called Hickory Brewing. Um, the guy down there is uh, I think probably one of the best brewers um, in the country. Oh, no kidding. Um, yeah. Hickory Brewing. I'm not, and I'm not even getting paid to, if, if he's listening, like, He's great. Uh, uh, Tennessee Brew Works in uh, in Nashville is a great brewery. Great one. Um, I don't know. There's uh, my friend. My friend and I have been going to these like little breweries in, in just north of Pittsburgh. And there's this one. In it's it's in a grocery store called Sprankles. Sprankles? And there's a brewery. It's called Sprankles. And there's a brewery in the back of the grocery store. And that's they're great. They brew. They have this like really great cardamom sour. Um, that's, that's wonderful. Um, and I hate to say this, but, uh, Wicked Weed in, uh, in Nashville, they made this, uh, watermelon dragon fruit thing that was off the chain. Um, good. I don't know. I like, you know, 
I, I like libations. I yeah, love, buddy, me too. I love sitting around and talking and sipping and playing, you know? Yeah. We'll, have to, we'll have to sit around and sip some beers and play sometime now that uh, things are slowly getting back to normal. Yeah, man, I can't wait. Yeah, me too. Well, David, this has been a, a pleasure talking to you, man. Congratulations again on the new album. Um, it's just, it's just excellent. Thanks, you, man. I, this has been so much fun. I actually don't want to stop. <laughs> I'm like, where are we? Go- where are we going next? Where are we going like, next, like- man? Where, where's the next brewery? <laughs> let's get in the. Let's head over to grab like Uber oh and God. hit the brewery. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much to David. Go out and grab that album. I know I said it multiple times probably during this interview, but it is, it's fantastic. I love it. So uh, next week, I'm not sure that there's going to be an episode yet. I'm getting ready to go to IBMA and I have a bunch of gigs starting tonight and I'm hoping to be able to find some time to do some editing. Uh, but also, I'm going to be posting some stuff from IBMA as well. So be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, Mandolins and Beer. And sign up for that mailing list. Cheers, everybody.